0: Radio program the uncreated light blog I'm your host Drake Shelton on this June 3rd 2013 this Monday beautiful Monday here in Louisville Kentucky about 72 degrees outside it feels amazing it's broadcast with the spiritual and temporal benefit of my people the atheist driven and socially suicidal minority Caucasian peoples primarily the peoples of the South land of America but also of the world the white race known in biblical chronology as the line of Japheth this broadcast is intended to call my peoples back to their covenant obligations in the Solemn League and Covenant, pursuant to the royal prerogative of Jesus Christ, who, having resurrected from the dead, ascended far above all rule and authority, power, and dominion, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, for he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. In doing so, this broadcast will expose the unforgivable treason committed against Christ's royal prerogative by the so called Enlightenment and its offspring, dispensationalism, Arminianism, absolute liberty of conscience, materialism, Darwinism and their social applications, pluralism, integration, miscegenation, and the communist idea of rights developed out of abolition philosophy in the mid to late 19th century, all made possible in these hallowed grounds of the Southland of America by the wicked pen of Thomas Jefferson, who being of the stock of those great white Protestant nations, That overturned the tyranny of the Holy Roman Empire, destroyed their national protections against Rome by opening their doors to be infiltrated by Rome through his fatuous and obstinate ideas of absolute religious toleration. That's right, folks. Did you know uh, in in the fourth uh, session of the Council of Trent, we have a clear condemnation on the freedom of the press? That's Roman doctrine. That's Roman civilization for you. You know who changed that for you? The Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation, in its demand uh, pursuant to the, to the doctrine of uh, the right of private judgment, demanded that the press be opened and that the Bible be put into the, into the hands of the common people. This movement is the movement toward human progression. This movement is the introduction of the modern period. Don't be mistaken. Atheism did not introduce the modern period. Secular thought did not introduce the modern period. The Protestant Reformation and the demand for the Word of God introduced the modern period. Oh, it hurts! The truth hurts! In improving our covenant obligations, I advocate in the place and spirit of Eusebius of Caesarea, and that great martyr of the faith, the Gentilist John Valentine, the Hellenistic theology proper, the Cappadocian brothers as well as Victorinus, Marcellus, and Pseudodonisius, known popularly today as the Triune God, be condemned as the synchronistic and civilian heresy that it is. This broadcast advocates the return of the original doctrine of God as summarized in the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed, that the one true God is the Father of Jesus Christ, not an abstract essence or being, but a singular person from whom the Son is eternally begotten and the Spirit eternally proceeds. This broadcast is also intended to revive the spirit and authority of the fourth commandment of Moses' law, the doctrine of the Sabbath, which said doctrine has been made impossible to perform with the invasion and establishment of the Darwinian the Yankee laissez-faire capitalist industrial way of life. This broadcast advocates the return of the agricultural way of life, which will maintain a healthy and sustainable food supply, preserving the lives of our people and the sovereignty of our lands to the exclusion of the Yankee's international grid, which has made our lands dependent on international markets and banks. Pursuant to the Solemn League and Covenant, this broadcast advocates the exclusion of Roman Catholicism and all forms of prelacy, including Episcopalianism and Eastern Orthodoxy, from our lands. This broadcast advocates the removal of all pagan and idolatrous religions and groups from our lands, including the Messiah rejecting and accursed Judaist Kabbalism, the Masonic Lodge, the Knights of Columbus, the Knights of Malta, and any other organization espousing Zionist or pro Vatican ideology. Just like John Hagee, we're going to get to John Hagee, his pro-Zionist, Templar Zionism. This broadcast will demonstrate the counter-reformation of the 16th century Roman Catholic Church and the creation of the Jesuit Order. It's the driving force behind the current movement toward globalism in an effort to destroy all the historic enemies of the international prerogative of the Vatican, known as the doctrine of ultramontanism. Having demonstrated this with philosophical argumentation, historical documentation, this broadcast advocates the establishment of a dominantly white, Japhetic, English-speaking, patriarchal nation comprised of those religious groups descended from the Baptist and Protestant Reformation, which said movement broke the power of the Pope's Dark Ages with the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648, introducing the modern period. Now to begin. All right, so just uh, a little uh, intro to a couple news clips here. Um. First, uh, these people have no connection to me. This is just my own searching on the internet. I really appreciate their work. Okay, so don't blame these guys for my views on anything whatsoever. Okay, I just I, I go on YouTube. I like watching things, especially on the coming, the coming uh, collapse of America and the coming world war, and the the YouTube channel Storm Clouds Gathering is excellent. Uh, Their their research is very good, and the quality of their videos is very good. The the guy who does that does a great job. And he's got a lot of videos on World War III. He did one on on how it's going to start and what the whole reason of it is. I'm completely convinced that he's correct, um, at least on a practical basis. I believe that there is a – the reason why we are going to war over there in the Middle East does have to do with the petrodollar. I think he's right about that. However, there's also a huge religious movement towards this as well. Okay? Cuz obviously, folks, if we wanted, we could be off we could be off the uh oil. No problem. There's already technology for us to have cars that drive on other uh other energy expenders besides oil, obviously. Uh, there are creators of energy besides oil. There's other ways to do this. okay? There's, And I know it's a conspiracy, but I'm, I'm sorry. There, there's too much evidence for this. Th- there are engines that run on water. I'm sorry. There are. There are. And we can do electrical as well. But uh, there, there's other ways to do this. The petrodollar thing is is definitely a consideration. And I think they've made a lot of good arguments to that effect. But this is also and that's a way to control. They want to be able to control the, uh, the Muslim nations. But my friends, there's also another element here. And this is what Brother Eric John Phelps has talked about for so long. This is a crusade. This is a continuation of the crusades, religious crusades, uh, from the 11th, 12th, 13th century. Okay? And with the Latin, this is a reestablishment of the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem to take over the financial system of the uh of, of the muslim nations is simply the occasion it's simply the occasion to get this agenda done this agenda that's been that's really existed for 700 years obviously existed by 1000 years but to regain the latin kingdom of jerusalem uh that that's what this is all about and one of the pimps for the pope is a so-called protestant named john hagee that templar zionist oh yes Oh yes. Um, there's another issue I want to get to. We're gonna get to that we're gonna get to that here shortly um with my article on the Bible and uh the right to bear arms. But I want to talk a little bit about this Zionist issue here. Uh John Hagee a few years ago, um back up. Storm Clouds Gathering has, like I said, made a video on how World War III has already begun, and he's got some great stuff. Uh, I'm totally convinced that the three so-called White House scandals exist to keep our attention off of the fact that World War III really has begun already, and uh, Storm Cloud's, Clouds Gathering gives you a great synopsis of why he believes that World War III has already begun. I think he's right. There's already Russia's moving into position. United States is moving into position in the Mediterranean. It's nuts. Um, but here we have John Hagee a few years ago with this video on YouTube. World War Three has already begun. And I mean, this guy has made so much money off religion. It's disgusting. I just want to go through what John Hagee's Templar Zionism is. It is a Jesuit theory. Uh, the Protestant Reformation believed in what's called historicism. And historicism fingers the papacy, the Roman Catholic papacy, as being the fulfillment of the uh, Antichrist prophecies of the New Testament. That That is standard fare in the Protestant Reformation for centuries. Even people that aren't Christians know this. This is such standard history, Western history. Um, there has been a great change uh, in the eschatology, that is the doctrine of last things within Protestant churches here in America. And this is a product – can, we can thank Thomas Jefferson for this. Thomas Jefferson allowed Roman Catholics to be here. You see, originally, in our original colonies, we did not allow Roman Catholics, and that's why we gave them Maryland. They were to have Maryland to be their own thing because we didn't want them around us. New York didn't want them around us. Virginia, we didn't want them around us. They were. They had already proven themselves incapable of coexisting with Protestants. Okay, and if you want a, a good synopsis of this, I've read. I've written something. It needs to be edited a little bit, but read my uh, my PDFs called Jesuit In- uh, Dynasty of Intrigue, and I give you a timeline of all the assassinations of the Jesuits uh, that the Jesuits executed um, over and over and over again to Protestants to pro, to, to even to Catholic magistrates and Catholic monarchs that simply tolerated or protected Protestants. Catholics are, and then you have the Irish Massacre, it was unbelievable. You have the St. Bar- St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, obviously the Thirty Years' War. They had already proven we, we can't coexist. Okay, And what Thomas Jefferson did, Thomas Jefferson let them come here. Why? Because he wanted absolute religious toleration, and so did the Baptists. Good job, Baptists. You guys are to blame here as well. We we wanted, and this is this is traditional. You can look at this in the in the um, in the Augsburg Confession, which is I mean, this is right off the press when the Protestant Reformation happens. Is the Augsburg Confession. And the, uh, the, the, the statement that's given by numerous magistrates around Northern Europe and Germania to uh, the Holy Roman Empire at the time, Emperor at the time. And um, they told him that they wanted one church, that they were breaking away from his Holy Roman Empire. They wanted one church, one people. Okay? Ulrich Zwingli, when he is confronted by the Anabaptists in his lands, okay? He does not allow freedom of religion. He wants uniformity in religion. He wants infant child baptism. That, that that his country and his whole point was. And you can watch this in the movie Anabaptist. It's it's on YouTube. Okay, this 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 exchange that that happened with Ulrich Zwingli. Ulrich Zwingli was uh, he was uh, next to Martin Luther. And by the way, he was not a protege of Martin Luther. And Roman Catholics like to make the argument that the Protestant Reformation was merely a creation of Martin Luther. Uh, Ulrich Zwingli had been writing. These things before he met years before he met Martin Luther, he was writing the same things, the the same he was coming to the same conclusions that Martin Luther was coming to. Many, many theologians were, and um, we have we have a a universal agreement among the Protestant reformers that we cannot allow Roman Catholics uh, into power, especially into political power. Really, we shouldn't let them around us at all. We have a complete separation. But, I mean, at any expense, we cannot let them in to political power, into political office. And who, who protects, who enables Roman Catholics to come back into power here in, in, the, in North America? The Baptists and the French Revolution secular atheists, Thomas Jefferson and company. And then in the 1600s, it was the Baptist Roger Williams. His fatuous nonsense. It's why we are in the mess we are in here in America. We used to have walls against Roman Catholicism and the Vatican. But with the Baptist movement and this whole freedom of religion thing here, that you Americans think it's so great. And now look at you. You're surrounded by all these third world immigrants with all of their foreign religions. And you hate it, don't you? You're getting exactly what you deserve. God is, God is shoving down your throat exactly what you wanted and I despise you for it. If you believe those ideas, I despise you. I have nothing but hatred and contempt for you. And I, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ and to the glory of God. I am not to love my national enemies. Jesus commanded me to love my personal enemies. We're going to get to that later. The Bible has a lot to say about hatred and violence. And the preservation of your group demographic and your tribe. And we're going to get to that. The Bible, does not, the Bible does not condone genocide. The Bible does not condone tribal suicide. You are not to love your national enemies, my friend. You are not to love a group of people, an ideological group of people whose sole purpose, or it may, maybe not even the sole purpose, but in their theology or in their philosophy, their philosophy is aggressive towards your group demographic. One of the things that really woke me up to this, obviously is reading the scriptures, but also in history, just to confirm it. When the Jesuit priests start uh, converting numerous Indian tribes here in North America, shortly afterwards, many of them are annihilated. Because the Jesuits tell them they need to love all their enemies. And what happens? Within a generation, sometimes less than that, the entire tribe is wiped out because their enemies destroyed them. This is Christian doctrine? You seriously believe that? You believe that the Christian doctrine is for us to allow ourselves to be annihilated as a group demographic? If you believe that, you are no Christian, my friend, and I have nothing but hatred and contempt for you. All right. The historicism of the Protestant Reformation has been replaced by two Jesuit theories. One's called preterism. And the other one's called premillennial futurism. Now, the preterist thing, that's real big among the Presbyterians. And the premillennial futurism, that's real big among the Baptists. Okay? Because b- both of those groups needed to be uh, alienated and to be uh, brought, de- de-Protestanized basically, by the Jesuits. And they performed this perfectly. Preterism is a system of interpretation that basically denies that the papacy is the Antichrist and attributes Nero with being the Antichrist. He was a a very – he was like a first-century Roman um, political figure. It was developed by the Jesuit Luis de Alcazar in his book *Vestigatio Arcane Census in Apocalypse, 1614 – published after his death. The notion that preterism was a position held by the early church fathers is impossible to sustain, as pagan uh, uh, Platonism and allegor- the, 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 the allegorization of the Bible was very popular among the early commentators. A uh, strict literal fulfillment of this book would have been considered inconsistent with their Alexandrianism. Uh, if you want more information on that, you can see the review of Professor Stewart on the Apocalypse by Enoch Pond. Um, for a full refutation of preterism, see Lectures on the Apocalypse by Christopher Wordsworth. Contemporary uh, premillennial futurism, which is the very popular one here in america really the dominant one that you have here in America, the pretty much Templar Zionism, is the construction of a Jesuit named Francisco Ribera. In his, uh, in Sacrum, Bitti, Joanna's Apostoli, and even Jealousi apocalypsic commenter, oh man, that's hard, hard to pronounce. You can, you can go to my uh, Celtic Protestant Christian Church of Louisville. I have this all written out for you right there on the front page. <clears throat> and this was continued by the Jesuit Manuel Lacunza in his Coming of Messiah in Glory and Majesty, which was translated by Edward Irving. Irving introduces it to John Nelson Darby. And then Darby's writings were continued by a Zionist named C.I. Schofield. Who has dominated fundamentalist Christian theology for almost a century now? It basically is a way to reject that the, the, the is basically a way to get around the do- Protestant doctrine that the Pope is the Antichrist. It's what it's and and to basically foment and to give Protestants a reason to get behind the Templar Zionism. And what am I talking about Templar Zionism? If you know anything about the problems in the world, you know about the Knights Templar, don't you? Right. everybody. I was obsessed with this my first few years of college. It's, my friends told me I needed to stop reading it. Friend, this is going to be really painful for you. The Jews were not the first international bankers. Oh. They were white Catholics named Knights Templars. The Knights Templars were the ones that set up the international banking cartels over in Europe. It was not the Jews. Oh man. Are you still are you still listening? Are you are you are you in convulsions right now? Are you ready to reach through this microphone and kill me? I know some of you white men you think everything is about the Jews and Alex Jones and all his buddies that's exactly what they want you to believe. They want you to get behind all that Nazi Hitler propaganda so they can – that's exactly why Alex Jones, I think it's his father-in-law who's the Knights of Malta. They're, they're, they're creating another Catholic center party here in America. And Jesse Ventura and all these so-called libertarians, they have no answers for you. Not only do they have no answers for you, they are complicit with Templar Zionism. And they want you to get behind this idea that the Jews are behind everything. Now, the Jews are a problem. I'll admit that the Jews are a problem. The Pope's uh, Jewish Labor Zionist Party is a big problem, and you will you will notice that most of them, if you uh, study these men, most of them are Freemasons or they are Knights of Malta. Okay, all those are Catholic groups. Okay, I'm sorry. Templarism is Catholic. That's what Freemasonry is. Freemasonry is Templarism. That is Catholic, not Jewish. That is Catholic. No, oh, but didn't the Jews actually take over the Jesuit order? That is nonsense. That is nonsense. So the Pope ordained a Jewish order to destroy the Protestant Reformation. Are you are you stupid? Are you just totally do you know anything about the history of Western civilization? The Jesuit order was created by the Vatican to undo the Protestant Reformation. Okay? the 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 enemies the jesuits are killing are our pro protestant people okay either they're catholic or they're protestant it's the it's protestantism versus catholicism not jewishism versus white gentiles right that's what you think isn't it you think this is all Jew and Gentile. My friend, the Bible says in the book of the Gospel of Luke, this is the time of the Gentiles. This is the time of the Gentiles. It's not the time of the Jews. And I have heard this from so many of you belligerent white men. Oh, Ignatius Loyola oh, was a Jew. No, he wasn't. Where does it say it? give me a historical document that says anything of this and I've actually read some of these guys and they'll say oh well you see the, re- the the reason why we're right is because the our view which says that the Jews are behind the Jesuit order has no historical documentation to it that that proves that it's the true one because the elite has suppressed it okay whereas the Jesuit the view that the Jesuit order was created by the Catholic Church for the purpose of by, – by, by Gentiles, mostly Spanish Catholic Gentiles, Catholic and Italian – or Spanish and Italian Gentiles. You see, to destroy the Protestant Reformation, that has tons of documentation behind it. Yeah, friend, it has tons of documentation because it's the history of Western civilization. <laughs> it's just unbelievable stuff just the bu- people just believe bullshit, they're full of shit man they'll tell they'll just believe and tell you anything, man. It's unbelievable all right now let's let's look what did the Protestant Reformation believe about Zionism, okay I'm going to give you two of the biggest uh influences in Protestant and Presbyterian thought. Number one is Samuel Rutherford. This is in his classic work, covenant of, Life, covenant of Life, Open, page 60. Quotation. In the former, Canaan was promised in this heaven. Answer. Canaan is promised only but sacramentally. And that was a pedagogical promise for the infancy of that church. But a type which was then in that covenant and is now and is not now. Make not two covenants, one then and another now. Except you say there was then a lamb in the Passover, which was a type of Christ to come, and there is now no such type, because the body is come, and Christ, the true High Priest, offered himself. Therefore, there are two Christs: one then to come, and now who hath already come come already. <laughs> The Lord's dispensation with Israel is often called a covenant. Now it must either be a covenant of works or of grace or a third covenant. Samuel Rutherford clearly thought that the the promise of the land of Canaan expired with the Jewish Commonwealth. It was sacramental. It was part of the ceremonial in a Jewish commonwealth that expired with the new covenant when the Gentiles are brought in, when they're brought into God's covenant. Now this commonwealth is ethnic. Commonwealth with the Jews is now expired, and that land promises is now expired. Okay, and really, it's been it's been broadened in the Book of Ephesians, and, uh, in Ephesians six, where he quotes the um, where he quotes the the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. In the original uh, passage in Exodus twenty, it says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. But then in Ephesians six, when Paul quotes it, he says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in all the earth. You see, because Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth. See, now that the Gentiles are brought in this this ethnic covenant with this one land mass over there in in Palestine, now that that's all expanded now. That that particular uh, dispensation now dissolved, and, and and not not dissolved as if it's been completely abrogated, but it's been expanded throughout the whole world. The whole world is now Christ's inheritance. In principle, everything. Everything's given to Christ as uh, as as His inheritance now that He is resurrected from the dead and He fulfilled all the terms of the covenant of redemption, and now it's our obligation to go out into the world, and to evangelize it and usher in the golden age. That's not liberal propaganda, folks. That's Protestant postmillennial eschatology. That's what the Puritans believed, and that's correct in my opinion, and it's proven itself to be correct. John now here's John Calvin his commentary on Ephesians six three. Quote, And that thou mayest live long on the earth, Moses expressly mentions the land of Canaan, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, Exodus 20.12. Beyond this, the Jews would not conceive of any life more happy or desirable, but as the same divine blessing extended to the whole world, Paul has properly left out the mention of a place, the peculiar distinction of which lasted only till the coming of Christ. No, friends, the Jews have no claim to that land over there. They have no claim. This idea that the Jews have claim over there is a Zionist conspiracy, and it's true. The Jesuits are in league with the Murano Jews. I'll give you that. I completely agree with that. That's true. That There's no doubt about that. The Murano Jews were introduced into the Jesuit order. I admit that. And I admit the Murano Jews had close connections with uh, Rodrigo Borgia, with his usury system that he that they developed there in the late 14th century they were all complicit with that absolutely there is a vatican jew conspiracy i get it i am i am with you on that the issue is who is the head and who is the tail who is the boss and who is the servant clearly the vatican gentile is the boss and the jew is the servant case in point why Oh, why, my friend, did Shimon Perez deed over all that land over to the Vatican? Why? Because the Jews serve the Vatican, not the other way around. All right. Got that off my chest. Oh, yeah, and then here's this other piece of news. Um, and this is uh, pursuant to our to our talk today. Um... Joe Biden has come out, and you can—I've uh, got this—I've got the links from to the Drudge Report and Politico.com on this. That Joe Biden said that they're going to postpone their war on the guns until uh, they finish uh, legislation on the Im- on immigration. And once they disenfranchise us with the with bringing all these immigrants in here, then they're going to try to take all of our guns. Okay, and um, there is a Southern Baptist convention representative uh that is supposedly complicit with him in this and his name is Barrett Duke. And um, um I'm going to um I'm going to uh uh I'm going to go around Louisville and I'm going to speak on um uh, on this issue. I'm going to be handing out tracts um that are basically going to go through all the same scriptures that I'm that I'm going to give you right now. This is a uh, first. I want to give you some historical background. This is from my blog, A Timeline of the Scottish Reformation by Drake Shelton. I just want to go through a few things with you so that you understand. Scotland in the 1500s becomes a Protestant country, and uh, not not just it wasn't it wasn't the government made them become Protestant. It was the other way around. <laughs> the people were Protestant, and they made the government become Protestant. A lot of people say that that religion is only kind of top down. It, it religion's in, in the in the hands of the powerful elite, and they force it on the people. No, in, in Scotland is one of the most one of the most problematic countries for any liberal or atheist uh, to deal with when he's talking about history. And we'll, we'll get through this. Um, in 1567 and 1617, King James VI reigns, and he plots against the Reformation. This is something that a lot of you guys who are King James only, uh, that you worship the King James Bible, I I have some bad news for you. The Geneva Bible, which came before the King James Bible, had notes in it about resisting the tyranny of monarchs. And King James wanted those notes out of the hands of the common people, and this is one of the reasons why he wanted this new version to be created, was to get those pre notes about resisting monarchs out of, out of the hands of the common people, and this is what, one of the reasons why the King James Bible was written. James VI passed what's called the Black Acts in 1584 to impose royal authority over the Scottish Church between 1584 and 1603, and this act prohibited ecclesiastical assemblies without the king's consent. So it's basically making the king the head of the church. In 1618 to 1621 James VI increased his pressure against the Reformation, and I want I want to I want to speak on this as well because there's a very interesting plot during the reign of King James VI. It's called it's called the Gunpowder Plot, and this is what the uh, V for Vendetta movie is about with the uh, Guy Fox character. Guy Fox was a Jesuit assassin. Okay, he was working for the interests of Roman Catholicism to bring back Roman Catholicism. James VI was not so much resisting Rome because it was he was so devoted to the Protestant Reformation. He was resisting Rome because he would have had to relinquish his sovereignty. That's the issue. The issue is he believed in the divine right of kings and he wanted complete control over the British Isles. He didn't want to have to answer to a pope over in Rome. And because of that, the Jesuits... Uh, pull off what's called the, or they try to pull off the gunpowder plot, and they they fail. Remember, remember the fifth of November, gunpowder treason and plot. That is, <laughs> Guy Fox was not a freedom fighter, folks. He was not f- fighting for the will of the people to be done in Scotland. If he if he would have been fighting for the will of the people in Scotland, uh, he would have he would have uh, been a Protestant. Christian, and, and he would have been a Presbyterian, but he wasn't. He was a Jesuit fighting for the uh, interests of the Vatican. Um, yeah, James, in 1618 to 1621, James VI increased his pressure against the Reformation. The Reformed Presbytery states, quote, thus after several former attempts to this effect was episcopacy again established, and prelates lording over God's heritage advanced, imposing their popish ceremonies which in that pretended assembly convened at Perth, N.O. 1618, were enacted and afterwards ratified in the subsequent parliament in the year 1621. In 1637 to 1638, the Covenanters in Scotland rose up against the efforts of their king and renewed the Reformed National Covenant in March of 1638. Here we have the common people imposing religion on the government. Atheists, that's got to hurt. In your mind you think that religion's always imposed by the powers that be onto the common people. <laughs> now do you know why your professors don't talk to you about the history of Scotland? And it, yeah, this is one this is one of the uh one of the, I think I usually go with four different uh periods that the secular universities don't talk to atheists about. They don't tell them about the Protestant Reformation. Atheists know jack about European history and the Protestant Reformation. All they really know about is the Roman Catholic Church and the Inquisition and stuff. Some of the – actually, I can't really say the Inquisition. Uh, Atheist apologists know about the Inquisition. The modern-day atheist doesn't because if he knew about the Inquisition, he would abandon his racial uh, animosity toward white people because then he would realize that white people have been the most persecuted people in the history of mankind. With the, with the Roman Catholic Inquisition. But um, the, the big ones that most atheists, common people atheists, don't know about. They don't know about the Inquisition. They don't know about the Protestant Reformation. They don't know about pre-Socratic Greek philosophy. And they sure don't know about the Communist Inquisition in the 20th century. Those are the four big periods of history that atheists do, are not allowed to learn about. Because all four of those periods of history are devastating to the entire mindset of, of an atheist. Anyway. Um, so here we have it, and you got to understand that during this period of time, um, and, in, and in 1646, Charles I surrendered to the Covenanter army after his general Montrose was defeated at Newark. You have to understand, in order for this to happen, there had to be been theology laid out. And it's the exact same theology that we're dealing with right now. This issue of, does a, does, do, do the common people have a right to raise up arms against their government? The answer is clearly yes. First answer you have to have is, you have to fight against the Anabaptist heresy, which says that you, you can't even defend yourself at all. You just let people kill you. And they'll, they'll quote Jesus where he says, he says if, if somebody smacks you on the, on the face, turn the other let him, let him smack the other side of your face. The problem with that is when someone's smacking you on your face, they're not they're not killing you. You you can still go to work the next day after someone has smacked you on the face, right? Okay. He didn't say notice notice the context. He didn't say, you know, if somebody stabs you in the in the back, turn to him and let him stab you in the heart. Okay, those are lethal blows. A, a smack is just an insult. Okay. Jesus commands that we are to bear along with in, with insults. It does not say that we are to to uh, bear long with uh, people who are trying to kill us. No, Jesus said very clearly that we are to that we are to. Uh, that, I'm sorry that He did not come to do away with the law. And if you read Numbers chapter 25 to 31, the law gives us plenty, plenty of justification to even take vengeance on other group dot- dynamics that have harmed us in times past. Yes, yes. And even in that economy, Leviticus 19.17, you were still to love your enemies, pursuant to Leviticus chapter 19. You were supposed to love your enemies, according to the Mosaic Law. Yet still, Moses in in Leviticus 19 is a person-to-person dynamic. Numbers 25-31 to is a group-to-group dynamic. If you don't get that distinction, you're going to misinterpret the Bible and you're going to justify genocide, just like the Jesuits and other people like the Anabaptists have done. Okay. Don't confuse personal, individual—that is—with group dynamics. They're two different things. If you if you confuse them, you're violating the sixth commandment. You're allowing people to, to kill your group of people off. You're viol- You're sinning against God. I'm sorry. So what had to happen is you had to have this idea that you could that you could um, defend yourself. Okay. And we're going to get into those scriptures right now. Okay, and I just want to let you know, uh, my if if, you, if I have any Southern uh, white brethren uh, listening to this, when our when our forefathers put St. Andrew's cross on our Southern flag, okay, what they were, they were identifying we were identifying ourselves with the Scottish Protestant movements against the divine right of kings, okay, that's what we were doing, okay, we are we are a continuation of the Scottish Protestant tradition down here in the South. Okay, and and that is it is the greatest tradition. It really is the greatest tradition, and really in the history of the Western world, the Scottish Presbyterian tradition. I think they made some mistakes, but I still think it's the best movement to ever exist. They made a mistake. Their 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 fatal flaw was aligning themselves with Charles II in order to get the Solemn League and Covenant reestablished. They were correct in 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 upholding the Solemn League and Covenant's um uh obligation on on the United Kingdom. That is correct. The way they went about it with Charles II, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. They should have they should have known from first Samuel eight and other passages, the whole idea of monarchy is is not biblical. It's not biblical. God warns about it in First Samuel chapter eight. He allows for it, but it's 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 he's, he 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 discourages it greatly. They should have had nothing to do with monarchy. They should have kicked Charles II to the curb. All right. Um First, I would like to say that the puritanic my the view that I'm giving you, the view of self-defensive arms condemns rising in arms over private injuries, as David's killing of Saul would have been in 1 Samuel 24:10, 12, 13, 1 Samuel 9 to 10. I condemn rising in arms to force uh, the government to be of our religion if that government has not already covenanted, okay? The reason why it was lawful for the for the for the uh, uh, the Scottish to rise against their government to force them to hold to the Protestant religion is that there were already national covenants in the 1500s that established Protestant religion in Scotland. That they, they, they had already been sworn. <coughs> and by the way, the United States government is still under the Solemn League and Covenant, folks. The, the Solemn League and Covenant established uh, that all of the progeny of the peoples of the British Isles would be under this covenant, and our thir- our original thirteen colonies here were under that uh, were under that when they were originally created okay just because we had a revolution does not mean that we dissolved ourselves from covenant obligations when the northern and southern kingdom of, Jer- of in, in Israel with the Jews, when they separated, God still held them accountable to their covenant obligations. It did not matter that they had a, a split in their moral persons. in 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 their body politics, they were still the same racial tribe of people. And yet, you are, my friend, if you are a descendant, and I am, I've traced my ascendancy back, I am a descendant of those people that originally covenanted here, and our our colonies were originally under these covenants. The United States of America is under Solemn League and covenant. Especially, there's no way out for the original 13 colonies of the Lake Covenant. Some people may make an argument for the other states. It, there's no possible way out of it uh, with the original 13 colonies. Abraham violently – here we go. All right, example number one. So I'm just going to go verse by verse with you on the different verses in the Bible where, um, where we have violence justified. Genesis 14 – Uh, 12 to 16 where Abraham violently resisted the king of Sodom. And may I remind the reader that this was before the theocracy. Some people will try to make the argument that um, instances of violence against corrupt kings in the Old Testament cannot be uh, justified because those kings were already obligated to the theocracy. But wait Abraham in Genesis 14 is not in theocracy but he resists the king of Sodom. Number two we have the, in Judges chapter 3, verses, uh, looks like, 10 and following. We have a violent resisting of a king, and that, which said king was brought as judgment upon Israel. Thus the people of God may resist God's judgments. Here we have Judges 3.10, quotation. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, Othniel, and he judged Israel. When he went out to war, the Lord gave cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, so that he prevailed over cushan Rishathim. Then the land had rest forty years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Thus resisting of God's judgment is lawful. And some people will also say, ah, uh, you, see, you see, the United States government is a, is a judgment on its people. And that's true. And they'll say, well, therefore, we can't, uh, we can't resist. Well, that doesn't follow. First of all, Judges chapter 3, we have the resistance to God's judgment. Uh, what about when, when God uh, brings a famine? On a land as judgment. Does that mean we can't look for food? Number three. Here we have Judges chapter three again. Another king violently resisted and assassinated, who was also God's judgment on Israel. This is the great story of Eglon, where uh, and um, and Ehud, Ehud shoves the knife in Eglon's belly and says, "I you know he's got he says I got a message from the Lord for you." Comes up and jabs him in the belly, and kills him. That's, that's, that's pretty that's pretty uh that's pretty in- that's pretty uh radical, is it not? Here we have God's prophet doing God's work by killing a government official that's bringing corruption upon his religion and upon his land. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. that's caustic. Number four, a group of men aligned with our violent rebellion. Rebuke the followers of Jephthah for not conducting rebellion without leadership, and are routed for it. Thus the Lord blesses rebellions who have no noble or government leadership. This is Judges 12, verses 1 to 6. Um, Colin Delich comments on this passage. Jephthah's war with the Ephraimites and office of judge, Judges 12.1, the jealousy of the tribe of Ephraim, which was striving after the leadership, had already shown itself in the time of Gideon in such a way that nothing but the moderation of that judge averted open hostilities. And now that the tribes on the east of the Jordan had conquered the Ammonites under the command of Jephthah without uh, co-operation, of the Ephraimites, Ephraim thought it necessary to assert its claim to take the lead in Israel in a very forcible manner. Number five, Judges 15, 4 to 15. No, I'm sorry, 4 to 20. Here we have a godly man recognized, who recognized the occupation of the Philistines, Took upon himself to terrorize. Yeah, this is the great story of Samson. This is probably the most devastating passage in the Bible. If you are as far as, far as resistance to, uh, to to corrupt uh, government regimes. This is just, this. I'm going to read this. This is just devastating. This is Judges chapter 15 verse 4. And remember, Hebrews chapter 11 praises Samson for what he does here. Judges fifteen four. Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail, put one torch in the middle between two tails. When he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning up both the stocks sho- the and the standing. I'm sorry, the stocks and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and groves. Here we have the destruction of an occupying government's property. Oh! Then the Philistines said. Who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of Kimnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you. Oh, revenge! Oh, God praises the man for taking revenge! Oh. But after that, I will quit. Verse 8. He struck them ruthlessly with great slaughter, and he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. The men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson in order to do him as he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Like this sounds exactly like the like the like the clergyman we have here in America today. Oh, don't you know you're supposed to submit to the government? Oh What then is this that you have done to us? <laughs> and he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. Hold on. Samson is a great man of the faith, mentioned in Hebrews chapter eleven, for for taking out violence for slaughtering an occupying army and destroying their property. Oh, this is devastating to the American religion. Verse 12, So they said to them, We have come down to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. (laughs) And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me. So they said to him, No, we will bind you fast and give you into their hands. Yet surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds dripped bands dripped from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, so he reached out and took it and killed a thousand men with it. And hold on, what just happened in order to make that possible? He was filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Filled with the Spirit of the Lord in order to slaughter a thousand people. Oh, but I thought God loved everyone. (laughs) Maybe God doesn't love everyone. At least not in the sense that He loves His own people. Verse 16, then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, With the jawbone of a donkey I have killed a thousand men. When he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he named that place Ramath lehi Then he became very thirsty, and he called to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. But God split the hollow place that is in Lehi so that water came out of it. When he drank, his strength returned and he revived. Therefore, he named it En Hakore, which is in Lehi to this day. So he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. My, 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 my. That would make the local Southern Baptist preacher turn over in his grave, or turn over in. Uh, if he was dead, he'd rule everyone's grave. That was uh not misspoke there. That'd make him would give him a heart attack, I'll say that. Number six. <clears throat> Here we go. Here we have some race traitors. Uh their nation and their ancestors says that we may resist when the government makes us sin, but that is all. On the contrary, the people of God resisted their king Saul's tyrannical. Legislation because he had no authority to oblige an oath on his people to abstain from... Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Let, let, me, let me read this part over again. Some traitors to their race, their nation, and their ancestors say that we may resist when the government makes us sin, but that is all. On the contrary, the people of God resisted their King Saul's tyrannical legislation because he had no authority to judge an oath on his people to oblige an oath on his people For, this is first samuel fourteen twenty four to forty six they told them to to fast from from uh from honey or basically from food until Jonathan had been killed, and the people said no, we're not doing that to abstain from honey is not a sin yet the people lawfully resisted him. It was their right and moreover their duty to use force in preserving life. They used force against their government. First Samuel fourteen twenty four to forty six. And that's their king, by the way. Number seven. David took Goliath's sword to defend himself against Saul. That's first Samuel twenty one nine. I think it's nine, yeah. And Rutherford comments on this passage. Royalists and Royalists are people who uh, who believe that you can't resist a government, especially a king. Royalists make David's act of not putting hands on the Lord's anointed an ordinary moral reason against resistance. But his putting on of armor, they will have extraordinary. Lecture X, page 169. And then David's coup... You have David. Oh, this is a, another huge one. David starts a coup attempt against Saul in First Chronicles 12, 23-40. That is a coup. Number eight... The prophet Elisha commanded violent resistance to the messenger of a king come to oppress the people of God. 2 Kings 6.32 Now Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man from his presence. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. The Hebrew word is Lakats, which means squeeze, oppress, afflict, or thrust against. Number nine, uh, abstinence from violent rebellion against tyranny is cursed. Okay? In Judges chapter 5, verse 16 to 23, God judges a people for not resisting a tyrannical government. Number ten, promise deliverance from absolute oppression by violence. Genesis forty nine nineteen, Gad a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Deuteronomy thirty three twenty and of Gad he said, blessed be he that enlargeth Gad. He dwelleth as a lion and teareth the arm with the crown of the head. Verse eleven. I'm sorry, eleventh example, scriptural example, the blessing of God in overthrowing wicked tyrant rulers. This is from Isaiah fourteen one. To six. Number 12, defensive violence defended by precept. If someone is violently hostile toward us, we can return the favor. Numbers 25, 16, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Be hostile to the Midianites, and strike them, for they have been hostile to you with their tricks. With which they have deceived you in the affair of Peor and the affair of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister who was slain on the day of the plague because of Peor. This is, this is, this is pretty much the same thing you have with Samson. You have, you have a group of people that have come to destroy your religion and the land of your ancestors. This is now a group-to-group dynamic. You have no command to love them. God gives you every right to destroy those people. If there is a group dynamic... That is oppressing your group dynamic. You have every right to hate those people and to destroy them, to destroy their property, to terrorize them. It's all everything that Samson did. Number thirteen. Violence may be pursued when a city of one's own covenanted nation has lapsed into idolatry. That's Deuteronomy thirteen, twelve to sixteen. And uh, this is Specifically applied to us here in America, so I'm, I'm going I'm to speak to this. I'm, I'm going to quote you the whole passage, Deuteronomy 13:12. If you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God is giving you to live in, anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from among you and have seduced the inhabitants of their city, saying, "Let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known," then you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly if it is true and the matter established that this abomination has been done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that is in it, and its cattle with the edge of the sword. Then you shall gather all its booty in the middle of the open square and burn the city and all its booty with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God, and it shall be a ruin forever, it shall never be rebuilt. My, 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 my. Preservation of religion with violence. My, 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 my. How the American mind stings at such things. You see, Americans don't believe the Bible. Jeffersonians, and, and by American I don't mean just people who living in North America. I mean Jeffersonians, people that follow the philosophy of Thomas Jefferson and his Baptist cousins. You guys don't believe the Bible, do you? You don't. <clears throat> Number fourteen, violence may be pursued to rescue those being unjustly uh, oppressed unjustly. Proverbs twenty four eleven, deliver those who are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back! If you say, "See, we did not know this," does he not consider it who weighs the hearts, and does he not know it who keeps your soul, and will he not render to man according to his work? Isaiah one seventeen. learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Verse 23, thy princes are rebellious, and companion of thieves, everyone loveth gifts, and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. You see, what Isaiah is saying is resist your government. (laughs) He's saying the princes are rebellious. Okay? Uh, They are companion of thieves. And they are oppressing the poor. Okay? So what you need to do is you need to relieve the oppressed. You need to judge the fatherless and plead for the widow. What he's saying is resist your government when it becomes corrupt. Fifteen, God, give, God gives a command to his people to deliver themselves from tyranny. Zechariah 2, seven, Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest within the daughter of Babylon. Deliver thyself. But that's God's judgment on them. Here again we have another example of God co- actually commanding. At this point now we have God commanding people to resist the government that God put upon them in judgment. <clears throat> yeah, this is sort- this runs totally contradictory to those who say that we must wait for God to deliver us supernaturally. They'll say, oh, well, well God will just work all this stuff out. He'll deliver us supernaturally. No, no, Zechariah seven says, deliver thyself. Deliver thyself. Sixteenth example. Christ commanded his disciples to provide themselves with a sword for defense. Luke twenty two thirty five and 36. Notice how the context includes literal physical objects needed for everyday life. It's no spiritual metaphor. Number seventeen, to wish for violence to be done to belligerent enemies of God is encouraged in the Old Testament in precatory psalms. And these imprecations are continued in the New Testament. You can read Galatians five twelve, Acts eight twenty, Acts twenty three three, Galatians one eight. I like this. I like, I love this passage by Paul. Paul says, to, then Paul, Acts 23, 3, then Paul said to them, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Galatians five twelve. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Oh, but Paul, I thought you were supposed to love everybody. Else. Beloved, may God be with you this week. Maranatha, may the Lord be with you. With Lucky Land Slot, you can get lucky just about anywhere.